uh, how wonderful it is to be here and to hear uh, God's people praise His name. Uh, I've been to a lot of churches. I've been to, I was talking with Pastor Chris earlier this morning. I've been to hundreds of churches, and I've had some strange questions, but none any stranger than this one this morning. I had one of the young ladies down here ask me if I was Linda's wife. I said, I said, what? And she said, are you her wife? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that, 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 that's the best. So, uh, thank y'all again for allowing me to be here. Uh, Chris has allowed me to come for a prep Sunday. In just a few weeks, uh, we're going to uh, have a friend day. And uh, I, I asked him if I could come and, and uh, get you ready. I believe you reap what you sow, and uh, I believe if we'll sow into this, uh, we can see a, a lot of people come to know Christ. And so I want to share with you a passage of Scripture that, that changed my life. It's very familiar to you, but I, I want to I share a little bit more about this as we get ready for this day. So I want to ask that you stand as we read from God's Word, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. This is at the begin, beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, and he, he is uh, calling the first disciples. And so I want us to look uh, a little bit closer uh, at this particular passage of Scripture. Beginning in verse 1, it says, So it was, as multitudes pressed about him to hear the Word of God, if you can visualize that, that he, Jesus, is standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, Jesus, sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these passages. Father, I pray over the next few moments that you'd speak to us like only you can. Lord, I believe every person that's here is here for a reason. You've ordered our steps, and I believe each person is here. They didn't come to hear a word from man. They came to hear a word from you. So, Father, speak to us in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. First of all, I, I think the scene is important. Um, not only do I believe everything that Jesus said was perfect, I also believe everything he did was perfect. Every step that he made, everything he did, he did it for a reason. Now, I didn't always understand that. Uh, I'll share a little bit about me. I was raised in church all of my life. Uh, I was baptized at eight years old, uh, but, but I wasn't no more saved than Hitler. And my life reflected it. Uh, I tried to do good, I'm baptized because I, I, that was about the age, and I was all raised in a First Baptist. So um, that was about the age that, 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 that it took place. And, and for me, I wanted to do it because my friends were doing it. I wanted to do it because my brothers had done it. And, and I, I just didn't understand what it meant to turn from my sins and to give my life to Christ. I just didn't understand and really didn't care much about understanding. And so when I became a teenager, I began to do a lot of things that weren't right. Uh, we, we say uh, sowing our wild oats, but the Bible calls it being lost. 
Now, I didn't lose my salvation. I just never had it in the first place. And my life reflected it. I'll share a little bit more about that later, but I uh, ended up in a lot of bad uh, scenes. But I praise the Lord on January 23rd, 1992, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, at the Edgewater Hotel, on the third floor at 10 o'clock at night, I gave my life to Christ, and God saved me. From that time forward, uh, for the first time, even though I had a Bible on my shelf all of my life, uh, many Bibles actually, and for me, probably had enough dust on the front to write damnation across the front. I just had never read it and didn't really care to read it. But when I got saved, God made this word like a big milk bottle to me, and I began to read it every day. Uh, God gave me a supernatural desire to read it. And uh, from that day forward, uh, I began to notice, I did like a lot of people do. I said, well, I want to start in Genesis, and I'm going to read every page all the way through. I missed this for 21 years, so I'm going to get it right this time. And I started in Genesis, and I began to read all to find out that God communicates in strange ways. And things began to leap off the pages for me that I'd never seen before. I got to the story of Abraham when God got ready to tell Abraham that he loved him or show Abraham what love was all about, you know, he just did it in a strange way. I don't know about you guys, but if I was God, I, I would, may have taken the stars in the universe and assembled them in such a way that says, I love you. You know, God could do that. But God didn't do that. When he got ready to show Abraham what love was all about, he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, that miracle baby, the one you waited for your whole life. And, and I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and I want you to take out a knife and slit his throat. And I want you to burn him and offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's a strange way to say, I love you. But you guys know the story. When Abraham drew back that knife, all of a sudden, I believe he began to understand something about love that transcends words. I began, I believe at that moment that he pulled that knife back, that he felt love from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet, to the point he probably ached, it was painful. But at that moment, and you guys know the story, God stopped him, and then God provided a sacrifice. And you guys know that is a foreshadowing of what God would do when God got ready to tell all of us just how much he loves us. He took his only son and sent him to this earth to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And I don't know about you guys, but for the first time in my life, that's a strange way to say I love you, but it makes sense to me now, particularly since I'm a dad. And God began to communicate through, I run into a story like the story of Hosea and him marrying Gomer. You know, that'll bless you when God tells you to go marry Gomer. But he did it. And he took the, this good and godly man, good, good and godly man's life and said, I want, you to, I want you to go marry a prostitute, which is a strange thing to do. But God took his life and made it a canvas of what it would look like when God loves the unlovely unconditionally. It's, it's amazing. And we get to this story here as I made my way through. I get to the New Testament. I began to learn things for the first time in my life, even though I'd heard thousands of sermons and sang thousands of songs. I began to realize that everything in God's words it seems to be backwards. If you want to be first, then you got to be last. 
If somebody busts you upside the head on the right side, turn the other side. By the way, you can't do that unless you're saved. Ask me how I know that. <laughs> but Jesus gets to this place where he's launching his ministry, and, and I have to believe in the theater of my mind that this was the perfect scene. I imagine Jesus rubs his hands together and he says, this is the perfect scene. Notice the place here. The Bible says it's, uh, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this is where he's going to do it. And it mentions in the Bible that he's the lake of Gennesaret. So I looked up, uh, Brother Chris, I looked up what the word Gennesaret means. Amazingly enough, it means garden of riches. And I got to thinking about this. You know, this whole thing started in a garden now, didn't it? And when God got ready to launch his ministry and start his ministry, he did it in a place that means garden of riches. And if you look at what he's looking at, I'm thinking, Lord, what do you, what do you see that you want us to see? And there's a, there's a shoreline there. There's a dividing line there. There's a place where you can stand and a place where you can't stand. And I believe this place is, is, is the perfect place. I believe the profession is, 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 is the right profession because Jesus, he could have called a multitude of different professions, but he decided, my first disciples, I want to call fishermen. I want to, why did Jesus call fishermen, by the way? Because he's, a, he's teaching, teaching, always teaching. He couldn't even eat lunch without teaching. He'd take the bread and the fish and he would teach, and so he's, He's, he's calling fishermen. Why? So it's an object. How many teachers do we have in here, by the way? Just lift up your hand. Lots of teachers in here. Well, you guys recognize this. This is an object lesson. And Jesus is calling fishermen because he wants us to be... You guys have been to Sunday school. That's right. He wants us to be fishers of men. So I believe the place is important. The profession's important. He even notes the possessions that they have. He says they have oars. They have nets. They had boats. They had everything they needed to catch fish. But the problem is they're not catching any fish. And when I got to that part, I thought, oh, man, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm going to launch a business or if I'm going to launch a ministry, I want to call successful people not unsuccessful people. These guys have not caught any fish, even though they've got everything that they need to catch fish. They're not catching any fish. And Jesus, I imagine in the theater of my mind, rubs his hands together and says, you know, this is the perfect place, the perfect pro profession. They've got everything they need to catch fish, but they're not catching fish. Now, like I said before, I've been to hundreds of churches, and particularly when I'm in the United States, the most churches I go to are, are nice churches. Now, you guys have an exceptionally nice church. This is, we talked about this earlier. I said, this is absolutely beautiful. Uh, the sanctuary is beautiful. You've got all these uh, flat screen TVs and screens on the wall that don't work. And, uh, <laughs> but you've got a really nice, <laughs> all this equipment. You've got these nice padded chairs where I can preach for two hours. Just kidding. But it's a beautiful church. But the question is, are you winning souls for Jesus? You see, you can have all the right equipment and still not win souls. And it's interesting to me that Jesus would say that this, 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 is, this is who I want to call. This is where I want to start, right here. So I believe the possessions are important. He even notes that they had purity. Look in verse 2. It says that they were washing their nets. 
Now, I don't know why they're washing their nets. They hadn't caught any fish, but they're washing their nets anyway. And I, I've been to a lot of churches, and all the churches I go to, they're always very clean. We like to clean our churches, and these guys are washing their nets. But, you know, I, I, I said, Lord, why would you even bring this up? What, what, what do you see that, that I can't see? And, 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 and I thought, well, you know, you can have purity, and you can be as straight as a gun barrel and still not win souls. You see, from the age of zero to 21 years old, you know how many people I led to Christ? Zero. You know how many people I tried to lead to Christ? Zero. Had no interest in it. And Jesus is, is, is stating here, you know, th th that they're washing their nets. I said, what does this mean? What do you see that I can't see? And, and it dawned on me, I believe that it was a sign that somewhere along the way, these fishermen decided we're not going to catch any fish. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. By the way, what good's a boat on a shore? So they pulled their boats up on the shore, and they're washing their nets. And at that moment, they've decided we're not going to catch any fish, so we're going to just pull our boats on the shore, and we're going to wash our nets. And it dawned on me at that moment, there's so many people that are washing their nets. I had the privilege of doing some counseling, particularly over the COVID time when I lost not some of my revivals, but all of my revivals. And I did some counseling, marriage counseling and different types of counseling. But I always, when I did mar marital or premarital counseling, I always would love to watch the couples walk across the yard or into the office. And I always like to watch their body language. I could always tell which one's washing their nets. I could always tell which one's giving up on the marriage. She'll have this look on their, his, her face like, what was I thinking when I married this bozo? <laughs> and it's written all over her face, or, or he's got the same look, and, and I can tell which one has given up. And many times I, I, I come into churches, you know there's people here this morning that you came to church this morning washing your nets. You're, you came in, well, I'm, I'm going to hear another sermon, I'm going to sing a few more songs, but really, this is what I do, I come to church on Sunday. You, listen, folks, every time we come into the house of God, we have an opportunity to hear a word from God. The Bible says His word is alive, and that He speaks to us even through the foolishness of preaching. People ask me all the time, what do you do for a living? I say, oh, a bunch of foolishness. But God will speak to us through the foolishness of preaching. And, but yet some people here, somewhere along the way, do you realize how many people are in this building, maybe even watching online, that you've decided, well, I'm just not a soul winner. You know, that's, that's Pastor Chris's job. That's Pastor Britton's job. I, 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 I'm just not, I'm not that. I'm not going to do that. I, I, you know, I, I just, not my personality. And you, you've already given up. And listen, folks. My God can do anything at any moment with anyone at any time. He can use you. So I believe the purity is important. I believe the even notes that they had persistence in verse 5. Uh, Peter uh, states to Jesus, we've, we've been out there all night, Jesus. I've uh, talked with many pastors and I always recommend doing a prep time. I believe this is the most important time of the friend day that we're having is the prep time, the get ready time, the time that you decide, could God really save my brother? Could God really save my, my mom? Could God really save my dad? Could God really save my neighbor? And it's that moment that, that I believe today that I pray will happen today in just a few moments when I give this invitation is that, we, that you decide I'm going to take and carve out the next few weeks and I want to pray every day. Let's say that word together. Every day. One more time. 
every day for them. Now, Pastor Chris and I, uh, I, I he's uh, downloaded an app that's, uh, that uh, the Lord allowed me to, to create uh, several years ago. It's what I do. It's what I use. It's what I've done all my life. I did it. I put it in notebook form and then later into app form. And uh, it, it, it's how I go about soul winning. I start by asking God to show me who that day, that week that I'm supposed to talk to. And, I, and, and, and I've been doing that for a long time. I got to see my dad come to know the Lord. He was a deacon for 30 years. But, you know, they make better deacons when they get saved. Amen. <laughs> And uh, I got to lead both my brothers to the Lord, both of them saying, uh, I say I got to lead them to the Lord. They, I played a big part in it. I brought them uh, or, or um, played a big part in them coming to know Christ. And, and then my sister-in-loves and my cousins and my uh, dozens of people in my family come to know Christ. Just a few weeks ago, I got to lead my nephew uh, to the Lord. And, and uh, God has blessed me, but this is what I do. And I've put it in app form and and Brother Chris is going to share that with you. Uh, he's going to push out that code to you, and you can download. And I'm going to be uh, coaching you over the next uh, few weeks of how to, how to begin to sow into the lives of people around you. So I believe the scene is important. Uh, secondly, I believe the stages are important. Notice in verse 3, this is where it gets good. The Bible says he, Jesus, got into one of the boats. Now, <laughs> I... I'm thinking, you know, this is interesting. Uh, uh, Jesus could have got into both of the boats. He could have split himself and got into both of the boats because, you know, he's God. He could have done that. He could have got into both of the boats, but he didn't. He got into one of the boats. He got into Simon Peter's boat. And the next question is, why did he get into Simon Peter's boat? Because he's, he's teaching, teaching, always teaching. And it dawned on me, this is God of all creation, this is God of the universe stepping into an empty resource, an unsuccessful resource, something that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And it dawned on me that the Bible says we're like jars of clay created to house a heavenly treasure. And it dawned on me that the Bible says our bodies are like temples created to house the Holy Spirit of God. So you've got God stepping into an empty resource and it dawned on me, I praise the Lord that on January 23rd 1992, God stepped into this unsuccessful resource. Call me crazy, but when God gets in your boat, everything changes. And the Bible says he, God, got into the unsuccessful resource, into the boat, and everything changed. You see, I believe when Jesus becomes the captain of your ship, your ship will always sail over to the woman at the well. I believe when Jesus becomes the captain of your ship, your ship will always sail over to Zacchaeus in the tree. When we give Jesus full reign of our life, you know, folks, that's just why he came. The Bible says the reason Jesus came was to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. So when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, you naturally begin to sail into places that you didn't normally go to people that you wouldn't normally go to. So it's interesting to me that he got into one of the boats. He could have taught the people from the shore. He could have stood on the water. He's saving that for later. But for right now, he's going to teach the people. He sits down. He gets into the boat. And then notice what, secondly, it says he asked Simon to put out a little from the shore. And I know you guys already figured out I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but one thing I figured out after being saved since January 23rd, 1992, is that when you get saved, truly saved, Truly born again, God's always going to ask you to do something. God didn't save us to sit soaking sour, did he? 
But I go to hundreds of churches. I've been talked to thousands and thousands of people, and I talk to so many people that actually think that being a Christian is just about going to heaven. They say, you know, I'm going to be a Christian because I don't want to go to hell. I just want to go to heaven. And they really just say, you know, once I get saved, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And as long as I'm going to heaven, I'm good. Listen, folks, if Christianity was just about going to heaven, then the best thing Brother Chris and I could do when we baptize you is hold you under the water. (laughs) That'd cut down our numbers, wouldn't it? (laughs) And you say, well, that's ridiculous. And I, no, actually, if you really back up and think about that, that's absolutely logical. Because if being a Christian is just about going to heaven, then the best thing we could do is expedite it and put you there. No more pain, no more problems. It's just put you under the water, boom, you're in the presence of God. Woohoo! But the reason we pull you up out of the water is because the greatest work is when All the old things have passed away, and you became brand new. It's beautiful watching coal come up out of that water. Brand new creation. All the sins washed away to live a life, a ministry, to be a sign to this lost generation that there's a way that they can go to heaven, that there's a way that they can be saved, to be a road sign that points people to Jesus. Jesus got into the boat. He asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Notice, uh, thirdly, he sat down in the boat. I love that. Jesus wants to be comfortable in your boat. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus comfortable in your boat? Now, Brother Chris and I know, you know, if you study this, sometimes the rabbis would teach from a seated position. But I believe that Jesus is doing all this for a reason, and and I believe he wants to be comfortable in your boat. So my question is, is he comfortable in your boat? One of the things that stop people from being soul winners is simply that there's sin in in your life. He's not comfortable there. Let me put it to you this way. Is, Is Jesus comfortable with the things that come out of your mouth every day? Let me, let me say something even better than that. Is Jesus comfortable with what doesn't come out of your mouth? Is he chump- comfortable with the places you go? Let me, let me put it to you even better than that. Is he comfortable with the places you don't go? Is Jesus comfortable with the things you watch on TV? Is Jesus comfortable with the things you see on your computer? Is Jesus comfortable with the way you treat your spouse? Is Jesus comfortable with the way you treat your children? Children, is Jesus comfortable with the way you treat your parents? You know, that's one of the commandments. Honor your mother and father. And one of the things that stops people from being soul winners, one of the reasons that there's so many people in this room, maybe many people watching online, that you just aren't seeing people saved in your life. Is there something there that God needs to deal with? God works through a, through, through a clean vessel. I, I mean, yes, he can work through any of us. I'm living proof. But at the same time, there's, I believe that's one of the things that stops people is when Jesus is not comfortable in your boat. Fourthly, notice this. Jesus taught the people from the boat. Woohoo! I love that one. Do you realize that you're teaching, 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 always teaching? Do you realize your children are watching you? You know, kids are the worst listeners, but they're the best imitators. They're watching you. You realize your neighbors are watching you? 
Do you realize your friends are watching you? The people at work are watching you. You're teaching, teaching. They know what you're passionate about. They know when you go to the football game and you paint yourself purple and green and you flip out. Wow! And then you come to church and look like a bulldog. <laughs> you're teaching. Teaching, always teaching. People can see what you're passionate about. They know where you go. They know what you're doing. They know just, just by the, your demeanor, just everything we do, we're teaching, teaching, teaching. Jesus wants to teach. I remember Brother Chris, I was at a church one time, and one of the deacons of the church came up to me, and he said, uh, he said uh, Brother John, I see that you're very passionate about soul winning. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, well, Brother John, he said, I've, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. He said, I've been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. And I said, well, that's awesome. That's, that's incredible. He said, yes, I've written many commentaries. He gave them to me. That'll bless you. <laughs> but, uh, but this is what he, this is what he told me. He, he, said, he said, I'm a teacher, and you're an evangelist. And he says, God's gifted me to teach. But I don't do evangelism. <laughs> Am I on candy camera? <laughs> but in his mind, he truly believed that was a true statement, that, that, that he, was, he was exempt. Listen, folks, it, it's, it's not our responsibility to evangelize. It's our blessing to evangelize. Call me crazy, but if the greatest thing that ever happened to you in this life, by the way, I believe it's salvation. If salvation is the greatest thing that can ever happen to somebody in this life, why wouldn't we share it? You say, well, John, why are you telling us? We're a healthy church. We do see lots of people saved. And, 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 and Well, statistics are telling us that the high 90% of the people in our churches don't regularly share their faith. And, and, and there's something wrong with that. Satan has convinced us that, that it's not uh, politically correct to do so. Listen, folks, it's what we need to be more concerned with is biblically wrong not to. That's the Great Commission. And so people, you're teaching, teaching. Your kids know whether or not you're a soul winner. Your wife knows whether or not you're a soul winner. God, you're teaching by what you do or not do. So I believe the scene's important. I believe the stages are important. And notice number three, I believe the submission is important. The Bible says, interesting enough, Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's always good, by the way, to address Jesus as Master or Lord. It's good. And Peter starts out right, reminds, us of us, reminds me of us sometimes. We'll start out good. But then notice what he does. He, starts, he moves right into an excuse. Master, you know, we've been out there all night. And it's just like us. I think about that. That's the way we start out our prayers. Lord, I would do it, but... Lord, I would teach Sunday school, but. Lord, I would soul win, but. Lord, I would go here or do this or that mission trip, whatever. I would do it, but. Lord, I would, but. And that's what he's doing right here. He says, look, Master, you know, we've been out there all night. We're professionals. We've been out there all night. We haven't caught any fish. But notice it's in the middle of his sentence that changes, and he, he says, but because you say so. And I have to imagine, the Bible says Jesus taught with great authority. And I believe what happened to Moses, same thing happened to Peter. 
When Moses got in the presence of the burning bush, when he got in the presence of God, he started stuttering. And I believe that's what Peter started doing. He said, but because you say so, I'll do it. He got to looking into the eyes of Jesus. He said, whoa, this, this dude's different. This guy's different. And he says, whoa, wait a minute, because you say so. And I love that. But because you say so. Folks, we need to get away from what some say and get back to doing what he says. But because you say so, I'll, I'll do it. The Bible teaches that obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so he submitted. And submission gets a bad rap in our society today. But let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing more beautiful than a person submitting to a holy God. A broken person submitting, an imperfect person submitting to a holy God. There's nothing more beautiful and he submitted. Notice, fourthly, the success. The Bible says in verse 6, when they had done so. Ah, let's say that together. When they had done so. One more time. When they had done so. When they did that thing. When they did that silly thing. When they did that thing that God, something that they didn't normally do as fishermen, to go out into the deep and fish. And, but when they had done that thing that Jesus called them to do, that's when the miracles began. When they had done so. I can remember just as clear as day. January 23rd, 1992, the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life was truly drawing me to be saved. And I wanted to go forward, but I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid they wouldn't accept me. I had all this stuff going on in my head, but I'll never forget when I took that first step to give my life to Christ, that's when the miracles began. The miracles began on January 23rd, 1992 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, when I submitted my life to the Lord, surrendered my life to the Lord. That's when it began. And that's the way it works in this passage of Scripture. The Bible says, when they had done so, God began to bless them. The Bible says, God will give you the desires of your heart. And the desire of their heart was to catch fish. It was simple. Fishermen, they just need to catch a fish. And so, but Jesus didn't allow them to catch one fish. He allowed them to catch Hundreds of fish, so many fish that their boats began to sink, so many fish that they had to signal their partners uh, to come help them because their boats were, sink were sinking. And it dawned on me, this is God's vision. This is, this is not Pastor Chris's vision. This is not my vision. This is God's vision for the church. This is God's vision for your life. And I remember when God laid this on my heart, I fell on my knees. I said, like, Lord, sink my ship. I want to see people come to know Christ. Sink my ship. And it dawned on me. I'm like, Lord, if we'll just do what you tell us to do. And I've been able to see this many times over the last 20 years that when God's people will get back to doing what God say, he'll sink your ship. Wouldn't it be awesome if Pastor Chris had to call the surrounding churches and say, come help us. I thought I was having a friend day, but all these people are getting born again. All these babies are everywhere. Well, come help us. Our church is sinking. <laughs> Amen. When God's people do what He say, God will touch it with a supernatural fire from heaven, and God will use you to win that brother. God will use you to win that daddy. God will use you to win that, that neighbor that, that you've been praying for. God will use you. He'll sink your ship, and you'll get addicted like I'm addicted to winning souls for Jesus. He can do it. You say, John, it's a great story. Heard it read it many times, heard it preached many times. What's the significance, lastly? What's the significance of this? Why are we doing this? Why did Jesus do this? And the answer is in verse 8. 
The Bible says, when Simon Peter saw this, when he saw what? When he saw all the fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees. In other words, Peter backed up and he did the math and he thought, I've been fishing on this lake for all my life. And only God could put the fish, all the fish in this lake in one place. He'd never seen anything like it. And the Bible says when Simon Peter saw, he recognized he was in the presence of God. And that's the goal on Friend Day, is to see so many people come to know Christ that some of you that have been in church all these years will fall to your knees and recognize God's in this house. Look at all these people getting saved. They're everywhere. And when Simon Peter saw it, he didn't back up and say, cool, check it out. I just made a bunch of money. That's what we do. Simon Peter backed up, fell on his knees. I imagine trembling like David. David says, my flesh trembles at the sight of you. And it dawned on me that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And you know, folks, why our country is in the shape that it's in? It's because our country doesn't fear God anymore. You want to know why our churches are in the shape that they're in? It's because our churches don't fear God anymore. And if you want to know why that person sitting beside you is the way that they are, well, they don't probably ever share their faith. It's probably because they don't fear God anymore. Let me tell you something, folks. I confess to you this morning, I'm afraid not to read my Bible. I'm afraid of what I might do if I fill my mind with anything other than this Bible. We finally took our cable out. I thought, Lord, there is not one good thing on that TV. And I confess to you, I'm afraid not to read it because the Bible says my heart is wicked. I confess to you this morning, I'm afraid not to pray. The Bible says apart from God, I can do nothing. I'm afraid not to pray. I'm afraid not to tithe. Pastor Chris, can I get amen? <laughs> because God says so. I'm afraid not to witness. Because I, I believe that hell is real and eternity is long. God woke me up just, the, just a few weeks ago and said, it's time to go witness to your nephew. It's time. And I'm like, ah, he doesn't want to hear from me right now. I'm not sure this is the right time, God. And, and I just believe with all my heart. God said, do it. And I'll never forget, I, I called him up, obedience. <laughs> said, let's meet for breakfast. Listen, folks, I didn't even get to the gospel. And I, I'm pretty good at sharing the gospel. <laughs> I love sharing the gospel. And, but God's presence was so strong in a breakfast place in Swanee, Georgia, that in the middle of our conversation, and I hadn't even got to the gospel, he started crying. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, took him a few minutes, and he said, I just feel like the Holy Spirit 
is telling me to get saved. And I said, I haven't got to the gospel yet. <laughs> no, I did. I said, well, I recommend doing exactly what the Holy Spirit says. He'd been raised in church too. But his, he had a testimony just like me. But just a few weeks ago, God gave my nephew a testimony. And God saved him. 